Welcome to the Vineyard Cincinnati podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our weekend services. To subscribe to our podcast or listen to other messages, go to vineyardcincinnati.com slash podcast. Our perspective, perspectives, change how we live life. Whatever perspectives you have is going to determine how you go through the goods and the bads of life. Because life will get hard. If it's not hard for you, it will get hard. Because this isn't heaven yet. Right? And what perspective you have determines how you go through the challenges of life. Several years ago, I was, uh, went on a whitewater raft trip with a bunch of my Young Life students, my, my youth ministry. And if, has anyone ever gone young, uh, whitewater rafting? Anybody? So we, we would always go to, the, to West Virginia whitewater rafting. It was the upper and lower New River. But then if you really wanted a real rush of whitewater rafting, you'd go to the gully. And the gully is only let out in October. It's dam controlled and it is high water. If you've never been whitewater rafting, class five and class four rapids are really big rapids for amateurs. We're not allowed to go in class six. Those are, would kill us. But class fours and fives, and the gully is all fours and fives. The, the, the new river is like twos and threes and fours. This is all fours and fives. It is a rush among all rushes. Well, about 100 yards ahead of one of these rapids, I'm in a boat with seven football players and our guide. And our guide says, she says, hey, in 100 yards, we're going to enter into the United States' longest class five rapid. It's a mile long. It's high water. It's a rush. When I say dig, you dig. When I say stop paddling, you stop paddling. You do what I say when I say, and if you fall out, pray. <laughs> now, I'd done lots of whitewater rafting trips. I'd even guided, and I'd never been dumped, ever. Well, we get to the top of this class five rapid, and I guided enough, I knew she'd missed the mark. And we were headed right towards this rock, and I'm like, oh no, we're in trouble. And the greater indication we're in trouble is she said a swear word and bailed. She jumped out of the boat. And then our whole boat flipped. All nine of us in the water. We rowed the longest class five rapid in the United States from start to finish on our butts. About five seconds in, I think to myself, you're getting sucked under. You got a life jacket on. You're told to keep your feet up so you know, your feet don't get caught and you get drowned. It's a really exciting thing. <laughs> About five seconds in, I just think to myself, well, I might as well enjoy the ride. I got no other choice. I mean, like, like I'm already saved. I know Jesus, so if I die, I'm gonna be with him. And I don't have a wife and kids yet, so might as well enjoy the ride. And, and, I, and I literally laugh the whole way. Even though I get sucked out, I'm like, ah! and I get down to the end, and all the guys that have been dumped are off to the side, and three of the guys, these guys were linemen. They were crying like babies. Just like linemen do, crying like babies, right? And the other, the other three guys, they were kind of a little nervous and shook up. And then two of us, myself, one of the other, we're high five and we're laughing. Now, I don't tell that story to make me look great. I tell that story to say, there are three different perspectives on that ride. And our perspective determined how we enjoyed or how we went through the rapid life. Here's the deal. It's not a matter of if you go through the rapids of life. It's a matter of when. It's not a matter if, if your emotional and spiritual boat gets dumped at some point in time. It is gonna get dumped. You're gonna get thrown. How do you go through life? What is your perspective that helps you go 
through this life. And I believe, I've said over and over again, there are three core perspectives that help us do this journey well. The first perspective is this. Do you believe, do you have the perspective that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he's the only one that rose from the dead, therefore he's seated on the throne and is in control at all times. That's the first perspective. So no matter, no matter what you go through, if you believe Jesus rose from the dead, you're like, well, okay, he's in control. And if you put your faith in him, you said yes to him, you've admitted your sin, then the second perspective is, then he puts his spirit in you. You have, you have the guide, the counselor, the Holy Spirit in you, giving you the, the strength and the wisdom to go through life and navigate the rabbits of life. And the third perspective is this, When you understand his resurrection and understand his spirit is in you and you understand thus his generosity towards you, then you'll go through a perspective of living generously with other people. We'll be like Dimitri, living life open-handed with all of our life, all of our time, all of our strengths, all of our money, saying it's all his in the first place and therefore I live generously to others. If you live a generous life, if we live understanding his generosity to us and live generously to others, you will have a joyful life. That's a promise. You can take it to the bank. We, we've talked about, this is the third week of our series called Generous. And the whole point of this series is that generosity is really for us. It, when you live generous with your time, your strengths, and all of your money, resources, you will live a more joyful life. It's more for you than for others. However, at the same time, if we live generous, people will want to know the God we know. I believe generosity is the number one way to evangelize our lost friends. When they see generous people, if they see us walk around like Eeyore, oh, Eeyore, I just can't believe how miserable life is. Who wants to follow that God? You're a Christian? I don't want to know your God. That doesn't mean we're fake. doesn't mean we don't describe, d- d- express our struggles, but if you go through life as a generous person, generous with your words, generous with your actions, generous with your heart, people want to know the God you know. And I believe generous people are just happier people. There's three perspectives of, that we've talked about this series that talk about how to become a generous person. The first week we talked about, the, the first perspective is this. It's all God's stuff. If you want to be generous, you've got to remind yourself every day, all that I have, you take everything out of your pockets, your wife, your kids, your house, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, whatever, you, it's all his. It's not yours. Remember, the first week of this series, I looked at the fact that God said to Abram, hey, Abram, I'm going to bless you. I'm the blessor, you're the blessee, and I'm blessing you in order that you will be a blessing to the world. That's the purpose of the church, is to be blessed by God and be a blessing so people know our God. Secondly, Beth came and talked last week about God is enough. So first of all, it's all God's stuff. God is enough. That when we have fear around not having enough, we all have fears. Money comes and goes, and time comes and goes. when, When we trust that God is seated on the throne, when Jesus rose from the dead, we say, he is enough. And lastly, God doesn't bluff. I know it's corny. I rhymed it, but I'm going to talk today about the fact that when God makes a promise, he doesn't bluff. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we can take all of his promises in his word to the bank, and they are true. Now, how they work out in our lives are up for discussion, but whatever God says is going to happen is going to happen. You can take his promises to the bank. So today, we're gonna talk about some of the promises Jesus makes around this idea of generosity. There's so many verses in the Bible about generosity that when we're generous, God will bless us. Let's look at one of these. Luke chapter 11. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's talking to the Pharisees and different people and he's really leaning into the idea of where do you find your hope? Where is your focus? In other words, what's your perspective as you go through life? And here's what he says. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light 
for your body. Now, to the Jew, this is a Jewish context Jesus is talking to, the eye represented the window to the soul. It wasn't just a window to your soul, it, like you could see into what was going on in you, but it was also determined how you went through life. It was your perspective. Where you looked is where you went, right? Our direction, our, our gaze determines our direction, right? If you're driving and you look left, you're gonna veer left, right? Where you look is where you go. And as you look, it brings good or bad back into you. So your eyes, like a lamp, provides light for your body. When your eye is good, or translated sometimes healthy, your whole body is full of life. So that's a good thing. We don't know exactly what light means, but I think that sounds like a good thing. So if your eye is good, your whole body's full of light. But when it is bad, when it's unhealthy, your body is filled with darkness. Well, that doesn't sound like a very good thing. Let's see what he goes on to say. He goes on to say, if you're filled with the light due to the good eye, with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant, as though a floodlight were filling you with light. So right out of the gate, we know, well, gosh, I want to have a good eye. Uh, Who here wants to have a bad eye when you hear that? Like, we know in the movies enough that light is good and dark is bad. Dark ends up evil. Here's the deal. When God says the eye is a lamp, he's saying Do we see life with the context that Jesus is generous to us first? And when he's generous to us first, then we understand and live like with a generous outpouring to others. And if we have a generous outpouring to others, we will have a good eye and our life will be full of radiating light. Now, there's something cool about the translation of the word good and bad in the Greek. The New Testament is written in Greek. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. In both the Greek and the Hebrew, the word good is translated literally generous. So if you have a good eye or a healthy eye, you have a generous eye. In other words, you see life through the lenses that it's all God's life, all God's stuff. Whatever I have is from him. He's been generous to me, and thus I live generously to others. And if I do that, I'll be full of light. But then the word bad, if you have a bad eye, it literally is translated stingy. So if you have a bad eye, you have a stingy, myopic, me, mine mentality. And if you have that kind of eye towards life, you will have a dark, empty life. One is really good, one is really bad. Generosity affects the kind of joy and life and light we experience in this life. Jesus goes on to say to one of the Pharisees, in that same context, here's what he says. As Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees invited him home for a meal. One of the Pharisees, the religious elite. These were the people that were supposed to get it. They were supposed to understand that we as a people, those that are followers of God, are blessed to be a blessing. But they became stingy. They had a bad eye. They were more about rules and regulations than devotion to Jesus. And they were so caught up in Jesus following all the rules. And, and the Pharisee, it says, was sitting there thinking to himself, Jesus didn't follow the rules by washing his hands when he walked in. We've said this before. Never have a negative thought about Jesus when you're sitting in the room with Jesus because he can read your mind, right? When you're with Jesus, go, happy, happy, joy, joy, Jesus is great, Jesus is great. That's all you should think because he's reading the mind. So Jesus reads his mind, these negative thoughts, and look what Jesus says. Then the Lord said to him, you Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish. You're so careful to follow all the rules. I don't drink, smoke, dance, or chew the day girls do. You're like following all the rules, right? You think you're so good. You, 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 you look good on the outside, but inside, you're filthy. And what are they filthy of? 
full of greed and wickedness. Notice it doesn't say full of sexual sin, although don't have sexual sin, it's unwise. It doesn't say full of, full of like, I mean, it, there's a lot of things that are bad for us, but, but the thing that gets on God's ire the most, greed, because we're demonstrating I don't think it's his. It's mine, 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 me, me, my, my, my. God's like, no, 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 no. I don't play. I don't play greed. Full of greed and wickedness. So, how do you rid yourself of this? How do you get right? Here's what he says. So, clean the inside. How? By giving gifts to the poor, and you'll be clean all over. Now, here's here's here's, don't hear me. Don't hear me say this. I'm not saying that being generous and giving to the poor is what saves you. This is not a social gospel. You and I are saved by one means and one means only. When we admit we're sinful and we receive the grace of God to set us free. But when we surrender our hearts to him and we say yes to him, we receive his grace, we have to respond by giving gifts to the poor and those in need. And when we do, there's a blessing that follows. You'll be clean all over. See, here's the note. Generosity is both a result and a means. Generosity is a result of understanding that I did not save myself. It's all his. I'm generous with my time. I'm generous with my strengths. I'm generous with my money because he's been generous with all that with me. But it's also a means. When we're generous, it doesn't save us, but something happens in the spiritual realm that cleanses us. Not only does it say earlier, we'll radiate with light, but the benefit of generosity is we'll experience a cleansing like we've never known. I don't get it. But I trust it because Jesus rose from the dead. In, in, in Proverbs chapter 11, here's what the wise Solomon says. Give freely and become more wealthy. Now, I'm not claiming, name it, claim it. We'll talk about that in a second. But there's a wealth that comes spiritually. Give freely. Live open-handed with your life. And you're going you're gonna to become wealthier. Be stingy and you lose everything. If, if you're stingy... Did you ever know a stingy person, the guy that like is, you know, we call them alligator arms, I can't reach my wallet, it's all, you, you gotcha, you got me? I don't wanna hang out with that person, right? Those stingy people lose friends. You're like, dude, come on, man. Would you buy once? Right, you know that guy? You know that, that lady, right? But stingy people lose everything. If you're stingy with your words, I don't wanna be around you. If you're unkind with your words, I don't wanna be around you, right? There's something that happens in the spiritual realm. You'll stingy, you lose everything. The generous will prosper. Take it to the bank. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Now, he, now hear me. Here's the thing I want you to hear. I am not claiming a prosperity doctrine. I hate prosperity doctrine. I don't hate prosperity doctrine. People, don't write me an email. But I hate that doctrine. I think it's a false doctrine of the devil. Okay? It is. That's not true. It's not how God works. But, but, but there is this idea in the spiritual realm when we live open-handed with our life, there's a sowing and reaping that occurs. God returns to us blessing when we live generously with our lives. We don't give in order to get. We give because we've been gotten. Hear that, right? We give because the God of the universe has come after us. We're not saved by our good works, but we do good works because we're saved. That's what, that's what Christ followers do. And, and when we do so, there's a promise that comes as a result of this kind of generosity. It just 
is. And if you think this is just a biblical idea, science backs this up. There was a four-year survey that just was done. It was culminating in 2021. And they, they showed, they studied all types of people. It was, it was regardless of socioeconomic background. It was regardless of gender, regardless of, of ethnicity. All backgrounds were studied. Didn't matter how much you had or how little you had. Your generosity, people's generosity, determined whether they, they lived a satisfied life. If you had very little or very much, didn't matter how, you, how satisfied you were in life, but your generosity affected it. Highly generous people, regardless of how much they had or didn't have, described greater satisfaction in life, greater meaning in life, deeper friendships. They were happier at work. Didn't matter what they did. They were happier at work because they were generous. They were healthier physically. They were healthily, healthier mentally. They were more content with what they had. They were more satisfied with their stuff. They had better marriages. The divorce rate of generous people is only 15%. The divorce rate of low generous people is 54%, 52%. So if you want to keep your marriage strong, be generous. Generous with each other, right? They described having higher self-esteem. It just works. It's a fascinating study. Science proves what God has been saying all along. It's so good for us. I mean, again, have you ever met an unhappy, generous person? Like every time I go to serve at the healing center, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you, 90% of the time that I head over to the healing center, one of the best ministries in the United States, 90% of the time I'm going there thinking, I really don't want to go. All right? Just be honest. Like how many of you guys go there? Joy, joy, go serve. I don't do that. I'm like, okay, let's go do it. It's a good thing. And I leave like, oh, that was so good. Every time I go to pray for people, I don't walk in to pray for people all excited. I know you think I'm a pastor. I got it all together. I don't. I, I go to pray, and I leave going, that felt good. Every time I meet with a guy over coffee to breathe life in him, I leave feeling stronger, feeling better. It's kind of like, like a workout. Nine, I work out six days a week. Nine, 90% of the time, I drive to the gym thinking the last thing on earth I want to do right now is go to the gym. I'd rather be eating a bag of Cheetos, right? <laughs> but I go to the gym, and I work out, and I leave going, I'm so glad I did that. That's what generosity is. Something happens in us when we live generously. We get the blessing. Generosity is for us. But God wants us to be generous for our benefit, for the benefit of the church. Because when people meet generous people, they want to know the God they know. Now, it may not always work the way we want it to work. Just a few weeks ago, my friend Treshawn, I think he's over there. He and I were at Chipotle. And I, we met over at Chipotle at the Field Journal over in Mason. And uh, he was already in line, and I walked in, and I wasn't going to eat, but I walked right up to him, and line was long, and he and I start talking, and we get right to the front where you're about to order your meal, and I hadn't stepped away yet, and all of a sudden this lady goes, you're going to go to the back of the line, right? I went, ma'am, I'm, I'm, I'm not eating. You're going to go to the back of the line, right? Ma'am, I promise you, if you're watching online, I promise you I'm not eating, right? I'm, I'm not eating. I'm just with my friend, Treshawn. She goes, you need to go to the back of the line. The whole line is kind of snickering because she's being so rude. And literally, in my head, I'm looking, I'm thinking to myself, wow, I hope you go to hell. I mean, really, it's, it's honestly what I thought. I just, I didn't want her to get saved. I don't want her to know Jesus. Like, like I'm just being real. Like, I mean, come on, how many of you guys have that feeling? Like, we're supposed to love people. I don't want to love you right now. And Trey's just kind of looking there laughing. I'm kind of like, ma'am, I'm, I'm going to go sit down. I go sit down. I'm like, I, I, I didn't say anything because, I mean, I didn't, didn't beat her up emotionally, I could have, but I thought, you know, people might know me here and, you know, they'll see me online. So I go sit down. And I go sit down and Trey's getting his food and she's getting her food and the, and the Holy Spirit just speaks to me. And again, when I say that, I, not an audible voice, but just like a thought pops in my head. I want you to go pay for 
for Trey's meal and her meal. I'm like, no, I'm not going to pay for her meal. <laughs> and the Lord's like, no, I want you to pay for her. No, no, no. She doesn't deserve it. If, if I pay for her meal, it might get her saved. I want her saved. You know, it's like. <laughs> and the Lord's like, you go pay for a meal. Go be generous. It's good for you to be generous. I'm like, nah. So Trey gets right to the line. I go up and I pay for his meal and her meal. And the lady behind the counter literally says, really, you're going to pay for her meal? And also, I'm like, yes, I am. Aren't I great? <laughs> and I pay for a meal. Trey and I go sit down. She doesn't even say a word. I'm like, what? Go, oh, God, take her out. <laughs> Just, but here's the deal. Even in that situation, like, how did, I'm like, God, I'm teaching on how generosity blesses us. How did that bless me? She annoyed me. But here's the deal. I didn't, I honestly, the more I thought, I didn't leave with a bitter heart. I did the right thing. I did the right thing, and my heart wasn't sour. If I'd done the wrong thing, if I'd had that little, it wouldn't have benefited me to have a conversation. You know, you're a rude, foul person. You, you get a smile. It wouldn't have benefited anybody. And, and, and the I ended up being blessed, even though it was hard, it wasn't easy. Even though doing the right thing didn't necessarily get a great reward in the moment, I left my heart lighter. Generosity blesses us. It just says, one, 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 more, one more passage I want to look at. Luke chapter 16. Turn your Bibles to Luke 16. This is a phenomenal little story that Jesus tells. It's, it's one of his parables. And a parable is a story he tells to make a point. And this is one of the strangest parables he tells. And, and the basic part of the parable is this. There's a manager who's being dishonest with his boss, with, with, his, with his rich owner. He's, he's skimming money off the top. And as he's skimming money off the top, the, ma- the owner finds out he's skimming money off the top. And Jesus is telling the story. He says then that the rich man lets it be known to the manager that he knows and he's gonna be fired. And the manager thinks to himself, he's shrewd. He thinks, I, I, I can't work. I'm, I'm not strong enough to do any good, hard work. So here's what I'm gonna do. He calls in people that owe his boss money. He calls in one guy, how much do you owe my boss? And he says, I owe your boss 800 bushels. All right, let's cut it to 400. Let's make it 400. I'll save you money. Now, don't forget me. Don't forget me what I did for you. Then he calls in, how much do you owe? I owe 1,000. Let's cut it to 800. Don't forget me. See what I did for you? And, and Jesus is telling this parable, and people are shocked. And here's what Jesus says the rich man said in the parable. Check this out. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. Now, before you go any further, oftentimes in stories like this, the, the rich man might represent God. In this case, it doesn't represent, represent God. It's just a, it's just a human acknowledging shrewdness lived out, even if it's wrong. And by the way, Jesus is also not endorsing dishonesty. He's not saying it's, it's good and ethical to be dishonest. No, he just, he's making a point here that's gonna drive home to us. Here's what he says. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world, people who don't know God, even people who don't know God, are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are children of light, than are those that call themselves Christ followers. He goes on to say, here's the lesson. He's talking to the disciples. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Here's the point he's trying to drive home. He's saying, look, dishonest people, 
People who don't know God, who don't understand, have an understanding of godly kingdom mindset that it's all God's, not mine. They understand that I need to use my stuff to make my life better and to make the others around my life better so that my life will be better. They understand that. He's saying the world understands the power of using resources in a non-kingdom way to benefit self and others. So how much more should we as Christ followers understand the same? How much more should we as Christ followers, those who have received the light of Jesus, use our resources to make friends for the kingdom so that other people will come to Christ and to, to use our resources also then sowing seeds forward for our life when we get to be with Jesus someday. Two promises here. When we're generous with our stuff, we'll make friends with people who don't know Jesus and they'll be drawn to the Jesus we know. And number two, when we use our stuff, our time, our strengths, our money for the kingdom, for others, we're sowing seeds for heaven. Because here's the deal. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. We're all gonna die someday. I, didn't, I know you're wondering that. We're all gonna die. And every one of us, when we die, they're gonna dig a hole eight feet deep. They're gonna drop you in it. They're gonna pour dirt on your face and go back to the church and eat potato salad. I know that sounds morbid. And then each one of us in this room will stand before the God of the universe someday. Judgment is coming for all of us. And will he say to you, I did not know you? Or will he say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You took what I gave you, I gave you, and you used it to bring others into my kingdom. That's the only thing we want to hear in this life. It's a beautiful, powerful petrifying into our story, which if you say yes to Jesus, is really the beginning of your story. It's where real life begins. This life matters because what we do here counts there. Do we live generously? It's not our stuff. And when we do, it will change the world around us. It's for us and for those around us. I want Chris Sowecki, my friend, and one of my fellow staff guys to come tell his story of how generosity changed him. It's such a powerful story. I just want him to share it with you guys. You share it with our staff. And Chris, go ahead and share with how generosity changed you. Thanks, man. Very often we're challenged to be generous. Sometimes we don't get to see the fruit of our generosity. And, and I have been able to, over the course of time and distance, be able to see a little bit of that. So I'm going to share a little of my story with you today. And hopefully it will encourage you and uh, challenge you to be a generous person. I was standing in the aisle near the back in a church in Kentucky, and the line was moving slowly from the back to the front, and the people at the front were giving their condolences to a father and mother, a twin sister and brother who had lost their little girl just recently. Just three weeks prior, she'd been named homecoming queen at Cincinnati Bible College, and now the folks who were gathered were asking the question, how could such a tragic thing take place? trying to make sense of how a 20-year-old athlete homecoming queen would be taken so quickly. Well, the truth of the matter is she was involved in an automobile accident, and I was the guy driving the automobile. And as I stood in that line, and as that line moved ever closer to the front, I knew that I was going to have a confrontation, not this kind of a confrontation, but I was going to meet mom and dad and sister and brother for the first time since the accident, and I felt 
all alone. I shouldn't have, because I had seen the church at work. I grew up in the bright Christian church just over in Lawrenceburg, Indiana, and I had seen my church be the church in my life many, many times before. When I was just five years old, we were sitting in the back pew, that wooden pew in the back of the bright Christian church, and we're singing out of hymnals back then. Anybody remember hymnals a few, a few years back? Singing out of hymnals back then, and I had mine upside down because I wasn't reading at five very well. And a little widow lady named Viola Grubbs took the hymnal and turned it the right way and showed me how to follow along with the words in the music. She began to plant tiny seeds of passion for music that have stayed with me for my entire life, and I'm grateful to Viola for that. A few years later, I was about nine, and we were in a Thanksgiving service when one of the elders of the church, Lloyd Smith, stood up to talk about what it meant to be grateful and all the things for which he was grateful, his wife, Adele, his kids, all the stuff. And in the midst of this speech, he says, and I'm grateful that Chris Solwecki is going to be a minister someday. I was nine. I wasn't even paying attention, but I heard my name. And those words, while very often viewed by most as folly, always stayed with me and ultimately came true. When I was 11, my parents split up. They got a divorce when I was 14 or 15. And it was during that time that pastors and elders and families and widows came around my sister and I and showed themselves to be spiritual aunts and uncles to us. And when my dad left my mom, he, it was not a good thing. It was not a good situation at all. And I was all about proving that I was not a chip off the old block. And so I was living as rebelliously as I knew how to. By the time I had my driver's license, I was not a great person to know. And yet my church, they didn't leave me to my own devices. They didn't shake their heads and stand back and show disappointment. They continued to love and encourage, and forgive, and hold me accountable to what I said that I believed and who I said that I was prior to all of that. There were so many times that my church invested in me. In fact, they paid for my first year in college. I was supposed to go to a different college, and I didn't get a scholarship I wanted, and all of a sudden, there's my church saying, we'll pay for you to go to the first year at Cincinnati Bible College if you want to go. It was amazing. At the end of that first year, I was offered an internship. All you need is a car, they said. Well, I didn't have one of those. And a couple of ladies from the church, in fact, twin daughters of the lady who taught me to hold the hymnal, offered to sell me their Renault Alliance for a dollar so that I could take the internship. The funny story about that is the, the week after the internship was over and I was back in college, I was coming back from the Florence Mall and flames came out from under that sucker and that was the end of the Renault Alliance. <laughs> but it served its purpose. It showed me how much learning I still had to do and it continued to give me an opportunity to grow. That was my church. That's who my church had always been. I knew those people and I knew they loved me and I was grateful for them. But now I'm standing in an aisle in a church in Kentucky surrounded by people I don't know about to confront a man and a woman, a son and a daughter who had lost their daughter and their sister. And I didn't have any words. And then I was next. And there were tears welling in my eyes. I had no idea what to say. Will these people love me the way my church did? 
And then it was my turn. And I went to speak, not knowing what was going to come out, and I felt these arms just hug me, and I melted into them as I heard words like, we forgive you, we love you, we've been praying for you, we want your best for your future. There was no condemnation. There was no mean-spiritedness. There was no, how could you have let this happen? It was all love and kindness and forgiveness and mercy It was the church being the church. In fact, that's one of my fondest phrases is we don't go to church, we are the church. And the church is never better than when we exit these seats and we put on the personality of Jesus and we go and we be the church, right? So if you've ever thought about doing something generous and had an excuse or a check or a reason why not, put that excuse and that check aside and do what God is calling you to do because the church is never better than we, when we are obedient to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter who you are. God will use you in a powerful way. Thanks. Amen. Thanks, great. Generosity just changes things. It changes us and it changes the world around us. It just does. I want us to be known as the most generous church in this entire region. That's why we're given 35% of all that comes in out this next year. That's why each month we're gonna do a generosity, give it all away thing. As we, as we desire to live in love like Jesus and love well, do good, give it all away. This month, we're giving $60,000 to a ministry called Trauma Free World, which helps people be set free of trauma. Understand our trauma, set free of trauma. We want to train as many of you as possible in this starting in January or February. So excited about this because we want to be generous with our words, our time. Here's my challenge invitation to you. Two next steps. Number one, take one next step in being generous. There's a card here you got in your thing. Take a next step. I don't care if it's take a friend out for coffee, if it's start to share words of kindness at work, pray for people at work, or take a step by serving. Serve in Vineyard Kids. Serve in Vineyard Students. Serve in, at the healing center. When you do, you will be better. Man, that's the rain of the Holy Spirit pouring down on us right now. Let it rain. Let it rain. Sing that with me. I pray the words. It was such a good moment. It was really going to be a good moment, man. Let it let it rain open the floodgates of heaven let it rain open your hands let it rain open the floodgates of heaven let it rain come holy spirit pour out your generosity pour out your generosity pour out your generosity Holy Spirit, more. The floodgates of heaven, let it rain, let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven, let it rain. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We invite you, Holy Spirit. Stir, Holy Spirit. Show us your generosity more. More, Lord. More.
more, Lord. Just receive. Just say, I want more. I want more. Just say that. I want more. Break our hearts for the things that break yours, Lord. Make us the most generous people wherever we are. Wherever we are, wherever we go. More, Holy Spirit. As we sing this next song, if you just... If you just want to lean more into generosity, you want to lean more into just being who God has called you to be and receiving, just, just you, you can come kneel, you can pray, you can worship. Let's just invite the waymaker to show us his way, the waymaker to show us his love. Come, Holy Spirit. Let it rain. Let it rain. Open the floodgates of let it rain.
that the Lord wants to just pour out refreshment and pour out generosity on you. If you've never put your faith in Christ and you don't believe he's generous towards you, I want you to hear the truth today. He adores you. He loves you no matter what you've done, where you've been. If you want to get prayer and you want to receive Christ, come down and get prayer or turn to a friend and say, man, I want to put my faith in Christ and receive his generosity. I need more. I think some of you here are tired. Some of you here today are tired. I just need refreshment. And, you, and all, you've been pouring your life out and you're saying, I feel tired. Just come get prayer or pray with each other and say, man, I want to be refreshed. I want you to make a commitment this week to give generosity away like it's just candy. Just give it away. Right? Give it away. Like sow seeds of generosity to your spouse, to your kids. Catch them doing things right. Get engaged in giving financially to somewhere. I don't care if you give here. This is for you. Live open-handed with your life and your stuff and you will be changed. If you don't want to get prayer from here, pray with each other. Make space to connect with the Lord and connect with each other. Bless you guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. To subscribe to our podcast or listen to other messages, go to vineyardcincinnati.com slash podcast.